This is Channel 253. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rood, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Candice. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, informing an empowered electorate. I thought we were empowering an informed electorate. In in the the city city of destiny. Hey, Doug. Hey, Will. Hey, uh, that's right. I'm Will James, a reporter for KNKX Public Radio. You are once, not Candace. <laughs> once again, I'm not Candace. Thank you for noticing that this time. Uh, I'm filling in for Candace as we talk to candidates for local office in Tacoma. And today we spoke to city council member Connor McCarthy, who's running for his second term. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma. Uh, we're here today with Connor McCarthy, a Tacoma city council member, Currently in the deputy mayor position, right? That's correct, yeah. And so that means when Mayor Victoria Woodards is out or you kind of preside over the city council meeting and, and fill in? Yep. And I get uh, – or I did receive a better parking spot for a while. But oh, then, man. But then uh, they took it away. So. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the perks, yeah. Of, that was uh, like the one the deputy perk. mayor. Yeah, yeah. No, um, and uh, well, they you were... give you a little more money too, but that's there you right. go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but the parking spot would be nice. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, you are currently running for your second term on the city council yeah. in position seven, representing the entire city in an at-large seat, right? Yes, sir. So I want to get to that, but first I wanted to ask you about your your family really quick. Sure. Um, so your mom is currently the state auditor. She is. Used to be the Pierce County executive. Mm-hmm. Your dad is on the Tacoma Port Commission. Correct. Was a judge for a long time. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you're when you're growing up, like you can see what your parents do, and mm-hmm. you either are like, I want to do the exact opposite of that, or I want to do that. So, like, what was your thinking growing up watching your parents kind of do what they do? Did you know early on that you wanted to do kind of the same thing as them, go into government and public service? So uh, I did not know that I would want to seek elected office. In fact, for yeah, I would say most of my youth, I would would have preferred never to do it. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, – I, you know, I learned a lot. I, I grew up in a household with uh, two parents who were, you know, in elected office. My mom ran for school board when I was a kid. Uh, my dad ran for the port when I was a kid. We, as children, you know, we're, you're in involuntary volunteers, not just on their campaigns, but they had a lot of friends in our community running for different offices, and they were involved uh, heavily with the local Democratic Party. And so, you know, we grew up. I have three sisters. I'm I'm number two, so I'm one of four. So we grew up working on a lot of campaigns for our parents and others, and so always drawn to public service and believed in it. And um, definitely, that was definitely instilled in me as a young person. Uh, not just you know, not just the that that individuals can have a calling to serve their community, but but really being able to see um, how how you can move your community forward at the local level when you have, 
you know, good people working together that you believe in. I mean, when I was a senior in high school, I, I got to take a tour. My mom was still on the school board uh, with my then uh, pottery instructor, and I was never good at pottery, <laughs> by the way. But uh, I got to take a tour with uh, uh, John Kettler and my mom and others to go visit, uh, visit a, uh, a art school. I think it was like in Vancouver, Washington, to just think about whether or not we could do that in Tacoma. And we did. The Tacoma, Tacoma Public Schools set up the School of the Arts. And, I mean, that has grown to today. Now there's 17 innovative schools in Tacoma. So for me, uh, I can kind of reflect on, you know, seeing, the, seeing different initiatives that, uh, you know, in this case my, my mom or others have been involved in that have really, really improved our community. And so um, there's definitely a, a strong connection to um, – well, there's been a strong lifelong connection to campaigns and public service. And, you know, my when I jumped in the race in 2015, it was, you know, it wasn't a really master planned at all. I had worked at the city for seven years. So right. I had this pretty close connection to the city staff, city government. And, and in my job, I worked for the utility and the general government. So okay. I felt like, geez, I know how this I know how this place works. I believe in the people here. Um, As an attorney, right? So I was an attorney, and then I was a manager. I actually managed all the real estate for general government and utility for almost five years after I left the city attorney's office. So, um, and then I went back out into the private world, and um, so I wasn't really thinking a whole lot about it. But yeah. we we were still, you know, involved in political campaigns. So it seemed like a good fit. I believe in public service. I had been a public servant. I'm close to the city government. I, I know the people who work there. Elizabeth Polly, our city manager, hired me when I ran to be, a, or when I um, a, applied to the city attorney's office many many years ago. So it was pretty cool that I got to be a part of hiring her as our right. city manager. So. Yeah. Um, so, so when you were first um, making that jump, right? Right. What did your parents say to you at that time after all the elections, all the campaigns they've been through over the years? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what was their reaction to that? You know, they're just extremely supportive of um, all of us, myself and my three sisters. So, you know, whatever we want to do, they, 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 uh, you know, they're, they're. You know, we're we're all biased uh, in, in terms of we um, we like each other, we love each other, we want to see each other succeed, and so we want to support each other and in, in other uh, our success. And you know, I mean, their stories are pretty serendipitous too. My mom ran for school board when she was a stay at home mom with four kids, and then um, uh, as met the woman she served on the school board with, Kathy Pearsall Stipek, who had been in the legislature and was then the auditor, hired her to be her deputy. And she just embraced the work and got really good at it and got elected to do it. Uh, and then kind of went on from there to be the executive and then um, the state auditor. Uh, you know, my dad grew up in South Tacoma. His dad was a longshoreman. And so when he got home from law school and he had a casual card, the the uh, the the folks in ILWU took away his card and said, "Hey, you're a lawyer now," and he, uh, uh, but he had this you know real strong family connection to the port, and so that's why he ran to serve in the port many huh. years ago. So, um, you know, we each have our own story, but we, you know, we support each other. Um, 
But it's definitely interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, definitely, you know, more good than, you know, more good than negative. Uh, and just in terms of me running, you know, obviously, um, you know, I get, I have the benefit of having not just of run, you know, helped on many, many campaigns, but I, I have the benefit of, you know, of have, have had, of have having, you know, my, my last name on the ballot in many, uh, many races. So that helps, but, um, yeah. 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 Was there ever an alternative path for you? Like if you weren't doing this, if you didn't go in this direction, if you didn't go to, you know, you went to law school, mm-hmm. you, you work for the city, was there ever any like a, in the back of your mind at some point, something else you might've done? Or was it kind of uh, public service generally, you know, was kind of always the direction you were moving in? Yeah, I don't know. I'm still working on that. Well. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll turn 42 tomorrow. So I'm still- Oh, whoa, happy yeah, birthday. Thank you. Yeah. I know it feels, makes me feel old saying it, but yeah, for me, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Um, no great uh, master plan. You know, I'm jealous of people who have one. My sister-in-law is an organic chemist, my wife's sister. Um, in, uh, doc- she's a doctor in uh, organic – or she has her doctorate in organic chemistry. And she knew from a young age that's what she wanted to do probably. Yeah. And so I'm always jealous of those folks. But, um, you know, I know that I, I, I believe in the work we do at the city council – um, or I wouldn't be doing it and I wouldn't be asking the voters to, you know, give me a, a shot to do it for four more years. And I believe we're, we're moving the needle for, in the people, uh, for the people, the residents of Tacoma. And so I, I believe it's, it's worthy work and we're, and we're doing good work and I want to be a part of it. So, so yeah, so this, you're, you're running for reelection this right. year. So it's your second time running, um, What's different running this this time around than than back in 2015? You so know? yeah, the biggest difference is I have a record of accomplishments in terms of things you know that I've personally championed and fought for and, and got done. I have a record uh, uh, that I share with my colleagues, obviously, because everything's collaborative. You know, one you need at least four friends on this council to accomplish anything. So, um, and I'm proud of our council's record and the work I've been, you know, involved in either being <laughs> either being kind of the wing person and, and just kind of helping to support the main sponsors or being the sponsor. So that's for, that's one of the biggest differences is, is, is that I've, I've been doing the work and I can share what we've done and I have a good grasp on where we're moving forward. And, you know, probably the when I ran for office, having worked at the city for seven years in uh, for both sides of the house, the city house, I really thought, shoot, you know, I'm going to get this. If, if we win, I'll get in there. And, you know, I know how the city works and we'll just, we'll just start moving everything forward. And I'm sure we just sit down and we just hash it out and then we just get it done. And yeah, I, that was, that was, it was, an, it was a huge learning curve for me. Right. I had, I'd worked on in the Muni building on the on the 12th floor, then the 7th floor, or the 11th floor, then the 7th floor. And then, you know, when I got elected, got to be on the, uh, what is it, the uh, 12th floor. And boy, I was, you know, quite a learning curve. How do you, how do you, how do you get things done um, with eight other individuals who, you know, have, have different um, priorities? How do you get the city government to respond and 
and work on the things you think are important. Um, uh, so it's been it's been quite a learning curve, but um, you know I feel like I've done a pretty good job at it. Um, what are the things you, you point to when when you're talking to voters right. um, about about that four year record that you've accumulated? Yeah, I mean if we just go. Uh, if we kind of start present day, uh, just I can and tell me when to stop because I'll, I'll sure. I might talk too long. But you know, one of the things I'm really proud of, and I had to fight really hard for this, and it, it seems small, and it is, but I, I'm hoping it'll grow. Which is, we just started a partnership with the University of Washington Tacoma to expand air monitoring throughout the city of Tacoma, and so. We for the last several years we've had a lot of individuals, particularly particularly in Northeast Tacoma, expressing concerns with what's in the air. Um, we had families show up and say, "Look, we did our own detection, and we think that people are dropping, you know, metal and asphalts on our families." So I, you know, took that to heart. But there's kind of this uh, challenge associated with number one, we're not the regulatory agency for air monitoring. The Puget Sound Clean Air Agency is. And the Puget Sound Clean Air Agency, uh, good people, but really, they feel like they've they've committed a, a lot of resources. In fact, they would say we're the most studied airshed in the state of Washington. But um, the air over Tacoma, they mean? the air over Tacoma, because we were in a non-attainment status in in parts of South Tacoma, and that resulted in a lot more studying and, and a lot more air monitoring and a lot more programming. Um, but uh, so what we're doing with the University of Washington Tacoma is we're not taking on that regulatory role. We, we can't, but we're at least investing in more air monitors, and then we're going to work with the scientists at, and students at University of Washington Tacoma through Joel Baker to, and do some more outreach and education to really you know, get more data and analysis on, on air. And there was, there was a lot of resistance because there's a lot of concern about um, the city getting into kind of quote unquote the air monitoring business. It's sure. really not our jurisdiction. It's not our mandate. But I'm really excited because it's a way, especially with the new air monitors that are that don't measure everything, but they do measure fine particulate matter, and they're called purple air monitors. They're really inexpensive. I mean, compared to a you know clean air agency air monitor, like three hundred dollars, and so. Um, we should be putting these things up all over the city, on every school, everywhere possible. So I fought, and I was able to get a little bit of money, and we're starting the program. And right now, uh, uh, they're out, the uh, UW-Tacoma and the city staff, to work with the community to figure out where to put them. That one is um, – I'm proud of that, uh, even though it's small, because part of what – particularly when it comes to environmental issues and concerns in this community, one thing – I and maybe, you know, my colleagues have struggled with is, you know, we really need good information to make policy decisions. And what we end up having, you know, at the city council is a lot of really good advocacy, one way or another. We get a lot of great advocacy, but it's hard to really get to, especially doing this part-time, get to the bottom of, you know, what's the truth, you know, understanding that, you know, even experts in the same discipline you know, might have some disagreement. But it's this process of discernment of what's true and what's not true. What does the science say? What are the ob- objective facts? And that, especially when we make these really big policy decisions, it's so important. So I think it's, I'm really excited about this because this kind of uh, 
we already have a partnership with uh, Urban Waters, and you know they're doing a ton of research under Dr. Baker, looking at uh, you know st- different stormwater. I mean, it's basically a research institute right there on the Foss Waterway, right. and they're doing great research. So just being able to bridge that connection b- between academia and the city to get us better, you know, non-politicized information about what we really can do and what we can't do to, to um, you know, reduce the amount of fine particulate, bad fine particulate matter in our community to, to reduce the, you know, bad stormwater runoff running into the, the waterways. That's really important to me. Well, I, I feel like um, you, you kind of touched on one thing that's definitely changed in the last four right. years in, in Tacoma, which is that, you know, the the environmental advocates uh, advocacy community has really rallied around this issue of the LNG plant in right. a way that was, you know, not so prominent four years ago. And today... Um, is like kind of the biggest issue for that community. Um, you, know, you and and a lot of the city council uh, supported that project at the time. You know, has your view on that changed at all, or you know, where are you? Has the advocacy that you've heard as a city council member you know shifted your your view at all on that project, whether it, it was worthwhile? Well, uh, totally. And, and let me, before we get there, there are other accomplishments I want to talk about. Oh. I know I was real long-winded on that little yeah, one, okay. but you let me know. Hopefully we can get back we'll to get that. We'll get back to LNG. Okay. Um, or do you want to get back to LNG? You want to talk no, about no, later. We, we can talk about LNG in, okay. in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I do. I mean, there, there's a lot of other things we've done. We, um, When I left the city as an employee, we had, you know, not just the recession, but we had a budget crisis uh, because of kind of poor leadership and, under the two city managers ago, and w- the result was a lot less police and firefighters and fire stations not operating full-time that used to. So I was really proud to be a part of, you know, basically three budget cycles, you know, a budget a budget adjustment and another budget to, to add, you know, dozens of new police officers and firefighters to take fire stations uh, on the east side in the north end that were operating part-time basically to full-time to put the engines back there. Um, I think it's important to know because at the city of Tacoma had actually lost its accreditation, you know, in terms of as a, a fire department because we weren't able to make these response times. And I think it's it's maybe, I don't know, maybe kind of boring politically, you know, to talk about public safety, but it's 60 plus percent of what the city spends its general government dollars on, and it's the one thing I think we can't afford to make a mistake on. When anyone picks up the phone and calls nine one one, the you know the police should be there, the firefighters should be there, and um, you know, I'm really proud um, to have fought for a, a new fire station in the Tide Flats, which was a heavy lift because there was a lot of resistance and uh, folks who wanted to wait until. PSE actually paid for it. And so I just, that didn't make sense. We used to have, I think, three fire stations in the Tide Flats. We had zero. And so really proud to kind of push forward that issue and then get the city to actually fund it. Um, I'm, our Safe Routes to School program, and, and, and more broadly, what, we're do, what we've done is spend millions of dollars on beacons just at every school in Tacoma. Our Safe Routes to School program is more of a kind of a deep dive at every school. And so it's um, it's good. We're we're at we're at four schools right now, but we also hired a 
coordinator that's working at many other schools as a program, try and um, make it easier and um, kind of incentivize and encourage more kids to walk to and from school, to bike to and from school. And so there's been a tremendous progress there. Um, and I, you know, I look forward to us, you know, implementing that program at every school in Tacoma, particularly the elementary schools. Um, the, you know, homelessness, I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yeah, I will ask you about that you will, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I just, in brief, I mean, we, two years ago or so, we declared a state of emergency. We, uh, invested a ton of money into, uh, basically a tent city, what we initially called the transition site and then right. changed the name to the stability site. But um, there's been a lot of really good work done there. Uh, and the idea wasn't just to create a shelter. The idea was to create a place where we could transition individuals from chronic homelessness to permanent housing, and we've had success. Let, let's actually um, talk about that right okay. now. Um, I've done a lot of reporting on the stability site, and you know, compared to a lot of like, quote unquote, tent cities, mm-hmm. it has been more successful at moving people into permanent housing. I believe about a third of the people who have gone through the stability site have ended up in like a permanent home somewhere, which is, um, you know, much, uh, much higher rate than like your typical emergency shelter. Um there was some question, though, about whether the city council would continue that. The funding for the stability site runs out or was mm-hmm. slated to run out, run out at the end of this year after about two years of operation. Do you, where's that at now? Like, Do you think the city council is going to renew that program, keep the stability site open? Absolutely. And we just talked about it Tuesday. We are reducing the budget amount by about a half a million dollars. We are reducing the number of beds there because the tents aren't uh, holding up as well as we want to. So we're going to use these, uh, uh, they're called pallet beds. Pallet houses. Pallet houses, right. So, um, and we, you know, I still have some questions because I'm a little concerned that we're, well, I'm that we're reducing the budget pretty significantly. Because it was so, expected to be a $2.3 million expense in 2019, right? That was the kind of what was budgeted. And so it's it's shrinking somewhat. It's shrinking. And so the question, the question I don't have the answer yet to is where's that money going to go? And I, I think there was, when we set this thing up, the, you know, the like I said earlier, the concept was, transition site we'll just and at the time there was a, a camp in the middle of the port where right. we moved a bunch of individuals into this site and we thought shoot we'll just we'll just throw all these services at these individuals and we'll just be able to immediately transition them to permanent housing we kind of learned that's not the case this is really hard work everybody's different everybody has different needs and we're there's kind of a shortage of the housing a lot of these individuals needs which is permanent supportive housing but we did. We we have been able to house over a hundred individuals. So yeah, I think that's a third or so of the people we've served into permanent housing. Um, I think part of this. Well, I know I know the key to the success has really been maybe twofold. It's the case management that's provided by CCS and other partners to Catholic communities. Catholic communities, right? To really um, stay on top of the individuals to to. To, to help to encourage folks to take advantage of whatever they need to be doing to qualify for whatever benefits 
they need to be trying to qualify for. And that's that's working. Um, but it's also there's also some accountability measures. I think we still have our 90 day rule. If you know, if you're at the site and you're not trying to get housing or get let's say you need mental health treatment or other resources, if you're not trying that you can't stay. So there's there's some accountability measures. When we originally passed the um, homelessness initiative a few years ago, it was the second big piece of it is we said uh, you can't camp in public places. Right. So the city's idea was, look, we're going to help everybody, but you can't sleep here. It's not safe for you. It's not safe for you know the community. It's not healthy. We'll provide you a place, but you can't sleep here. And the challenge has been, well, we you know, the shortage of capacity at different facilities um, so that we haven't been able to, you know, uh, keep uh, keep that promise as much as we said we, we were going to. Um, but we have created a model that's done a pretty good job of getting people in that permanent supportive housing. So the next generation with this site, one of their goals is to to provide, they called it kind of a faster reentry. So they're, they're their goals are even though we have to reduce the number of beds because of the from tents to the the uh, pallet pallet uh, shelter pallet shelter I don't know I can't remember um, uh, that they they believe they've got some programming in place that will actually push people through to permanent housing mm-hmm. supportive housing but the bottom line is we need more permanent supportive housing. That's the bottleneck, right? You can you can get people into a site like the stability site, but like you said, you find out a lot of them need uh, these these homes or apartments with round the clock kind of services, right? So I drove a young man who's twenty seven years old to a permanent supportive housing apartment last week, and this was after I want to say three months, maybe four months of trying to get him housing. And he was a friend of mine who jogs downtown a lot, had uh, interface with this young man, and um, she wanted to help him. So him and I, or her and I, uh, over the last several months have been trying to get him housing. And not just because it's the right thing to do to help somebody, but for me as a policymaker, I really want to learn how the process is. So that has meant I've been driving him around. This is the second time I've done this. It's, uh, but I've been driving driving him around to you know uh, coordinated entry, comprehensive life resources, DHS, uh, federal Social Security, helping with paperwork, helping with process, sharing care, and um, what was really frustrating is he actually qualified for like an eight or nine hundred dollar a month housing benefit, but every time we went to uh, sharing care, which provides the housing, they, he didn't prioritize high enough. So. Um, and he was literally sleeping on the pavement uh, of Tacoma until so, last week. So, so his vulnerability score, what they call like how right. he, he wasn't, quote unquote, vulnerable, vulnerable enough yeah. to qualify for that. Yeah. So, he, and in fact, I sent an email to the people who run the, uh, the share and care facility, who, by the way, ended up getting him both through, uh, both through uh, coordinated entry with Catholic Community Services, he was able to get permanent supportive housing, but which is different than this other benefit he was using. But yeah, he didn't prioritize high enough because he he didn't have a drug problem, he didn't have a domestic violence problem. If he had those two issues, he would have ranked higher. And so, my email to, or my correspondence to them was, you know, 
you know, everybody deserves housing, but, you know, are you considering people who are sleeping with their head on the pavement? I'm not exaggerating. When I pick him up, that's where he'd be. Um, so, um, so, so it's, as a policymaker, it's a really good experience because, um, yeah. What did you take away from that whole process? Um, well, I, many, many things. Uh, one thing is everybody's helpful. Um, and by the way, you know, shout out to the share and care people, great people. The people at DSHS are helpful. The people at, uh, you know, Social Security are helpful. The people at Comprehensive Life Resource, the people at Coordinated Entry, everybody's helpful. But the process, well, if, if you have an individual who um, doesn't have transportation, um, doesn't have a good diet because, you know, they don't have much money, doesn't have, um, it maybe has some other issues going on that are, are, are exacerbated by the fact that you're sleeping outside every day, sending that, having that person fill out a pound of paperwork every place they go, um, do intakes every place they go, and then sending them around the city, um, it's just not working. So, I mean, this is one great thing about uh, the stability site. They're able to bring the resources there, right? One place. One place. Um, Pierce County has set up a, uh, what do they call it? Their outreach center. I'm getting around. It's the Pierce County. Um, they've set out basically a new one-stop shop. It's open to anybody, but it's set up by the district court on 9th and Tacoma Avenue. But same thing. They'll have DSHS show up. So you don't have to try and make your way to, you know, whatever, 19th and Sprague. So as, as a policymaker, it's really, we've got a lot of partners doing really good work, trying to help people out. There are resources there, not enough, but the navigation of the process is extremely difficult. Right. And so, you know, if I just switched gears to opioids real quick, one of the things I'm really proud of, I'm co-chair of this Tacoma Pierce County Opioid Task Force is... And you were there. We set up this, our first safe station uh, in the state of Washington. And that's a fire station where you can, it's fire station one. Right. On Fawcett and 9th, 901 Fawcett, where 24 hours a day, if you're ready to receive treatment for opioid use disorder and you show up, you will immediately receive treatment. And if it's during, you know, normal business hours, you will actually be physically transported to the, the Raphael Clinic and receive immediate um, stability medication treatment if that's what you need, as well as resources for ongoing treatment. If it's if you show up in the middle of the night, um, there's we have our, our new CARES unit, which is a mobile unit that can provide that same medical um, treatment right away. So it, I'm really excited about that. But the concept there is uh, no, you know, low to no barriers and immediate service and um what what blew my mind so i was there right, covering that press right. conference and and you spoke at that what blew my mind was after that uh you i think mentioned that that day when you were announcing this this safe station program someone showed up to the firehouse that very day during the press conference to get service right Is right it, yeah, yeah. What, what i didn't even notice um but uh that that was was pretty surprising to me. Yeah, and that person was brought by someone from the Pierce County Recovery Alliance. Okay, 
Um, and so, you know, one of the great things, we have a really strong recovery community. And one, one of the things I said that day is we, we really want to change the narrative from, you know, death and dying and, you know, uh, and, and addiction and all the negatives that go along with it to the narrative of recovery of, you know, a lot of individuals who have been through this same, uh, these same problems in terms of the abuse and all the devastation that's happened to them and their family members as a result of it, but have come out of it. And so, um, yeah, it, it was pretty special. And I wish I had the number for you for, I don't have it today for how many people have, have come through and, and been served. But the concept was, um, and I, for me, it really hit home when I was talking to a gentleman at our first uh, opioid summit. I don't. I keep saying two years ago, two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. maybe, at our first uh, opioid summit. Who who manages uh, some of the uh, helplines, the crisis lines, and he would say, "Yeah, we get calls, and people say, can you help my son or can you help me?'" And we say, "Okay, you'll have to wait one day, two days. You know, you have to schedule an appointment for an assessment. It, just." A lot of process, a lot of waiting, a lot of running around. And for someone who's fighting, in that case, you know, an addiction, and we're not supposed to use addiction in the vernacular anymore because it has negative connotation. But I think most people recognize that. But for someone who has an opioid use disorder, um, it is extremely physically uh, demanding. And so if if you can't promise, if if you can't guarantee that you can provide that, that, stabilizing medication, then, you know, people are, are in a short period of time, then people are probably not going to wait uh, to go through your process, and they're probably not going to jump through all the hoops. So, um, but lots of other good things have happened. We're providing medically assisted treatment or the in Pierce County Jail, a lot of great kind of just organic things um, happening just because we've convened a lot of good people. Let's take a, a quick okay. break, okay. and then we'll be right back talking with uh, Tacoma City Councilmember Connor McCarthy. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez, host of the Channel 253 sister podcast, Crossing Division. Let me tell you, growing up in Southern California, I thought that people in Washington just didn't know what a real earthquake was. I didn't think anything about them. Until February 28, 2001, the Nisqually earthquake. I was on the seventh floor of a government building right across the street from Capitol Campus in Olympia, and the quake hit hard. Let me tell you, that building, I was convinced it was coming down. It was the worst earthquake I have ever been in. I got under a conference table with my coworkers, and when the quake was over, I evacuated the building with them, looking around at cracks in the walls and stuff everywhere. I did fine, but let me tell you, one of my coworkers, another attorney in my office, Jeff, he was trapped in his office for hours because when we left, we didn't know who was uh, gone and who was there. So he was trapped and two people had to come back in with a crowbar and open up his door. The building had shifted and closed him in. It was really, really scary. No one was injured, but ever since then, I take earthquake drills really seriously, really seriously. And that's why I'll be participating in the Great Washington Shakeout, scheduled for October 17th at 10.17 a.m. in the morning. That's right, 10.17 at 10.17 a.m. Everyone in the state is encouraged to take a minute to drop, cover, and hold on, 
just like you would in a real earthquake. Look, we all need to build muscle memory. It's good practice to make sure you don't run out the door and get hit by falling debris in the next big earthquake. So do it for real with the Great Washington Shakeout. Get down on the floor and hold on. Then do one more thing. Work on that emergency kit. Talk to your family about your plans. Find out what your work or school will do after an earthquake. Again, that's scheduled for 10:17 a.m. on October 17th. You got that 10:17 on 10:17. It's easy to remember. You can learn more at shakeout.org/washington. Use hashtag #shakeout on social media to post shakeout selfies afterwards. Thanks to the Great Washington Shakeout for sponsoring this episode of Channel 253. You're listening to the Citizen Tacoma podcast. It is part of a network of local podcasts here in Tacoma called Channel 253. Um, It's a service that's supported by people who are members. They're paying $4 a month. I'm a member of this network, and it is one of the ways that you can help keep local journalism, uh, local conversations going in the 253. So consider becoming a member of Channel 253, and thank you. We're back with Tacoma City Council Member Connor McCarthy, part of a series of conversations we're doing about the local elections here in Tacoma. And we were just talking about opioids, but I wanted to get back to something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned kind of the environmental advocacy that has Mm -hmm. been a real big part of political life in Tacoma the last Mm -hmm. four years, um, mostly around the LNG plant that Puget Sound Energy is building on the Tide Flats. It's under construction right now. It's been through a number of permitting processes. Um, You you and, and the rest of the city council supported that project. And since then, there's been a lot of opposition that has grown up. And I'm wondering if a lot of the things you've heard from the environmental community have kind of shifted your thinking about it or, or whether you've you've changed your thinking on that project? Uh, well, absolutely. The advocacy has completely, uh, you know, informed, you know, if at the very least encouraged, I think, all of us to really dig into this issue a lot deeper. Um, I do want to back up, though. The council never let's say, approved this project. And I think that's where there's a lot of confusion. The council's in a regulatory role and or the city of Tacoma's in the regulatory role. We're, we have city staff reviewing the, the permits against whatever the applicable laws are. And that process started before I got on the city council. Um, yeah, the, the LNG plant is like an interesting case because... It was already kind of the wheels were turning right. before it started getting a lot of public attention. I feel like, and well, we had the methanol, the 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 sighting of the methanol um, was kind of the first, you know, major response from the community, right, in terms of advocacy, and it was um, extremely impressive. You just in terms of, I think at the convention center we had there, there was you know fifteen hundred people. Uh, there, um, I don't know how many spoke, but and, and I went there and, and listened, and so I mean that's just in my experience being around city government. Uh, that's 
that's probably the the largest group of individuals at at the time that I'd ever seen really show up and um you know uh really speak from their hearts and and uh to um to uh, this was part of the the environmental review process as part of the hearing and then that project went away and then a lot of the same individuals uh showed up and said hey now we want to talk about this other project uh, we have a major problem with it and um so when you're when you hear that as a policymaker, what what I want to do is be responsive in terms of learning what these, you know, what the concerns are, and then what I can do uh, to address the concerns as a in my role. And so this, you know, a lot of a lots happened in in terms of I set up meetings at the time the group Redline. I set up meetings with members of Redline and our fire chief and our attorney. I want to say we had at least two, maybe three meetings to just walk through all of the concerns um, stated because, I, you know, I'm not a scientist. Uh, I'm a lawyer. Um, we have, but I do take seriously these concerns that when people say, look, this is unsafe for the environment, uh, the ecological environment, this or this is unsafe for the people who live in your community. So I take those concerns very seriously. I spent hours and hours, uh, not just in these meetings, but meeting with our, you know, fire chief and others to really understand, uh, the safety aspect of it. Um, there, um, you know, I've more or less been relying on what the clean air agency is saying in terms of, uh, that it's in, I brought my quote, they said it will result, it will result in, the, in an overall decrease in greenhouse grass emissions, a uh, net beneficial impact compared to the no action alternative. So right, and the idea behind that is that the ships run by Tote Maritime will be using natural gas instead of bunker fuel. Right, right. so they'll be burning a cleaner fuel, and so uh, they're arguing uh, that the net emissions will right. will go down. Right, and so from my perspective, and I understand people disagree with that perspective, um, but from my standpoint where I sit, if, and the fire chief, by the way, they did a fire and safety analysis. And so I had them, a fire department, not just walk me through their analysis, but with citizens present, respond to those same kind of safety, safe siting analysis. So based on that, based on, you know, what we heard from our fire chief, who isn't biased, or this is our former fire chief and has no skin in the game one way or another, his obligation. He just retired after, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Right. Smart guy, went to MIT. But um, based on what you know, he's told us and what the science he's presented us and based on what the Clean Air Agency said, I, my conclusions have been, this is you know, cleaner for the air in Tacoma and it's safe. So, uh, and, I, and really in this role, you have to rely on, um, you have to rely on those folks. And then with respect to the SEIS, um, the legal department has told us that we cannot require an SEIS for three years now, that there's no basis for it. Um, and, and, and that's not attorney-client privilege. They've, they've, they've communicated that, those reasons outside City Hall. So with that project, I – look, I, I, I acknowledge and understand – all of the concerns, you know, with that particular project, and they they are driven by, um, I would say the high, the highest values. So no one, 
and not me, not anybody else of my colleagues, I would say is calling into question the 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 motives of the individuals who are you know uh, extremely frustrated with us for from their perspective not doing more because i think what they want is what i would say we all want we want cleaner air in tacoma we want less dependency on fossil fuels in tacoma um we you know we want to make sure our waterways are clean um we want to make sure that our neighborhoods are safe and don't have to be concerned about um, you know, dangerous activities next to them. Uh, I mean, we did pass interim regulations that prohibited any new uh, heavy industrial uses in the port. We just were going to vote on reauthorizing them again. We had a public hearing uh, just a few days ago. So, I, I, I mean, we've adopted him. While I've been on the council, we've adopted environmental action plan. In the past three years, we've done a lot of good things consistent with that environmental action plan. The city's carbon footprint is smaller. There is more green infrastructure. Um, there, you know, there is more tree canopy. Um, one of the things I really want to work hard on if I get reelected is there's a real opportunity to do something special with the several hundred acres of unimproved right-of-way that are just sitting there, whether that's increased, uh, urban forestry canopy or other um, food um, type movements if the free food uh, folks who are um, you know want to see more local agriculture take place and it's it's part of a climate resiliency effort as well so um, it, but yeah definitely a, a wedge issue in this in this campaign but just on the council for the past several years right I, I just want to put a quick plug in here, right. the, the question of um, the extent to which liquefied natural gas is cleaner or not cleaner, super complicated. Um, my colleague Bellamy Palethorpe at KNKX Public Radio did a really interesting series of series of stories about kind of that issue and the science behind it. So uh, it I learned a lot from it and uh, it was just really interesting. But, um, you know, thinking about stuff that's changed in Tacoma politics mm -hmm. in the last four years since you first ran. Um, LNG is definitely one of them. The other thing that came to my mind was the Northwest Detention Center because right. I kind of feel like that was an institution that flew under the radar for a long time in terms of the public consciousness. And then after the election of Donald Trump, it got a lot of attention locally. You had people showing up at city council meetings saying, you know, shut it down. Um, you know... I know there was a lot of discussion on this that kind of peaked, I want to say, like a year or two ago at city council meetings. But, you know, what is your just sort of opinion on Tacoma's relationship with that facility that's own, or that's run under a contract by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement? Uh, yeah, well, my – here's what we need to do. We need some sort of local oversight structure. Uh, we can't close down the facility. At least that's what we've been told. We the city's definitely changed its. Uh, you know, when Trump was elected, and the new kind of immigration administrative action at the federal level were happening, at that time, Mayor Strickland had sent a letter to Northwest Detention Center, kind of threatening to uh, revoke the license if they didn't prove up that they were treating people properly. Because what we hear is a lot of. 
um, concerns and claims of, that people are not treated well at this facility. There are no children at this facility, is my understanding, um, but everybody else who, who comes through the facility. So um, that, that, didn't, that didn't get a whole lot of legs anywhere. Then we, what we did is we passed an ordinance that limited the expansion of the facility. And then we, uh, that we got challenged and we changed it and then we then made it permanent. And then we're, we just want to, I believe before the growth management hearing board on that. Right. There's been a couple of legal actions over that. So the city standpoint, I would say is evolving in terms of what it can and cannot do with respect to the, um, regulation and oversight of that facility and um, during that process, you know, the mayor has uh, is, you know, has met with ICE. I've been there. We, we, uh, we, uh, we've toured the facility. If you talk to the people who run the facility, they say, this is a great facility. We treat everybody right here. And they, they and, and, and we say, well, no one believes you. And, you know. Um, you, I remember that, Tori. Were you on that tour? I've been I've toured once and then when we were in DC this last April right we asked to we actually presented the folks at ICE with a letter that we had sent to our delegation one of the things uh, our federal delegation so I mean there's really two things we can do we can advocate with the federal delegation and the state legislature to you know change the laws in terms of immigration reform and in terms of how this facility is operated and overseen and the second thing we can do, I think, is take a maybe be a little bit bolder at the local level to try and assert our jurisdiction. And that's something I've wanted to do. We haven't, I haven't been able to build a strong enough support for that. Uh, and I think what the move is to work with the state legislature to see if there's something that some something we could do. But ultimately, to me, what's most important, uh, since we can't change federal immigration law in the city of Tacoma, uh, what's most important to me is to make sure that any individual who finds himself in the Northwest Detention Center is treated with dignity and respect. And um, the people who run the facility say that's happening. And I don't, and um, I think we need some sort of local um, oversight that could verify whether that's true or not. I I'm going to take a deep breath okay. and bring up Click. Okay. I always hesitate as a reporter to dive into Click because it often takes so much to explain <laughs> that by the time I explain what's going on with Click, I run out of time to do right. my story. But all right, let me give me give this a try. Tacoma is a rare city that has a municipally right. owned and operated cable and internet provider. Uh, People like that it's cheaper, it has better customer service, but uh, there's been a lot of discussion with it losing money over the years, how to keep it sustainable into the future, right? Mm-hmm. It's something your opponent brings up a lot, Courtney Love, who's running against you for this seat. She is a big uh, supporter of of Click. Um, and so I, I just want to ask you about it because it's come up in this race. What do you see as the right path to keeping this service, I guess, sustain financially sustainable into the future? Yeah. So the, I mean, the answer is what we're doing is probably the only way to do it. And what we're doing is we're not getting rid of Click. Click remains owned by the the, the rate payers uh, or the citizens of Tacoma. Uh, what we're doing is we're entering a partnership where someone else is going to operate it. 
Um, and in that partnership, they have to meet our community goals, community goal uh, objectives, or the partnership goes away and we, we take back the operation or responsibility. So um, when I got on council, there was the, there had already been you know a strong push to do this all in to have the click uh, invest in you know um, not just providing the the uh, cable service but to also become an internet provider and a phone provider, and um, it was going to cost a ton of money and it it wasn't going to work. So people like me, um, and it really would have resulted in the end of click. Uh, people like me pushed really hard to actually get an audit. And at the same time, there was a lot of distrust for the leadership at Tacoma Public Utilities at the time because people felt like how the uh, utility was being accounted for was not was uh, not appropriate, that in fact, Click wasn't losing money, um, but that's not the case. And I can just say that after, you know, two, three years of working through those issues with professionals at the city, who uh, in our finance and other departments who could really just walk through, um, you know, how these, the, you know, how this utility was being accounted for on the books and basically legitimize it. Um, so it is losing money. It was losing money. And the only way to pay for it was to use basically um, Tacoma power dollars, which isn't necessarily appropriate. So, we have to do something different just so that it, so that the utility has a future. And this something different is a partnership that where we still, the people still own the utility. Um, I, and let me just segue for a second here. Uh, myself and several others were pushing really hard to have the city evaluate whether we could do kind of like an Ellensburg model where you would set up your own you know, you would we would just okay, we would just eliminate this issue of TPU the alleged TPU subsidy, and have the utility kind of operate as a standalone. And I want to just uh, jump in in case people aren't familiar with this. The idea was to have the electric ratepayers at Tacoma Public Utilities um, help keep Click afloat for a period of time. Right? Is did I explain that right? When you said TPU. Yeah, so okay. that that's what's happened, right? right? And that's when several years ago the utility director said that's not appropriate under the law, and the lawyers agreed with them, and the accountants agreed with the cost allocation. So they said we have a problem; we need to do something about it. And so the thing that the city was kind of headed towards doing is, well, we'll just make this big investment, and we'll turn this thing around so it generates more revenue. All in, right? All in, and then we realized that might not be a good idea. Um, and then we got sued. And then we, uh, people like me said, well, is there a possibility to, you know, what would it take to actually do kind of for the, forget about the subsidy from the electric utility, what, to just kind of have a stand up standalone utility. And the short answer is it would take the general government at the very least, even if you could finance it with, let's say, revenue bonds, it would take the general government having to basically underwrite that debt. Meaning, if we took this plunge into the general government financing this utility and it failed, then what would happen is you would put at risk things like the monies you use to pay for your police and firefighters. Got it. So that wasn't that wasn't a valid option. So what's been come up with is an agreement with this uh, Rainier Connect that essentially where they operate the click utility, they uh, have to do so in accordance with all these principles, including, for example, and, and one thing to be clear, they don't 
They're not going to operate the institutional network. So all the utilities we provide to schools and other partners like libraries, uh, we continue to, you know, at least own the fiber that provides that service. Um, and so they don't get a touch of that, which is provided. But um, different principles like the fact that we need to, you need to provide program for equitable pro- programming across the city, um, et cetera. So I... I wish I would have brought my list of tenants here. No, no. Uh, but, uh, but I think what I think where we ended up with Click is probably the is the best option to move forward. It, it was the it's the first positive um, outlook that we've had in my time on the council. That that Click can survive. It can stay owned by the public, operated by a local company, and meet all these objectives that we care about. Um, and if, for whatever reason, our private partner uh, doesn't doesn't meet those objectives, then we get to take it take operation back. In the in the few minutes we have left, I, I want to talk a little more about this uh, political race. You're you're running for reelection. You ended up with a kind of unconventional opponent this time, a, a sort of candidate that Tacoma hasn't generally seen. You know, she comes from the activist community. Her name is Courtney Love. She is, uh, she was an activist for Bernie Sanders, a big supporter for him in his 2016 race. Um, One of the things when I spoke to her for the last episode that she used to distinguish herself against not just you, but sort of the, the people around the city council right now is she says like, oh, I don't uh, take corporate donations. It's it's the way she funds her campaign. And she criticized the city council for accepting money in the past from, you know, uh, Puget Sound Energy, the utility that's building the LNG plant, uh, people affiliated with the, the geo group that runs the Northwest Detention Center. It's something that she has been bringing up in the campaign. So I just wanted to give you a chance to respond to that, um, that criticism from from your opponent. Yeah, I, I mean, I've got I've got I don't have the list in for hundreds of individuals who have donated to to our campaign. I have lots of businesses. I have lots of labor union unions. Um, so I've got great support from you know small donations from just neighbors across the street, from uh, larger companies to you know uh, significant labor unions in our community. So I I feel like I. For me, for me, you know, we're running a campaign that appeals to people who believe in living wage jobs and are and are involved, and are supported by you know labor force businesses that want to grow and and provide good jobs in our community, and residents who care about things like making sure their kids can get to and from school safely, and that. Um, Making sure that we've got you know roads and infrastructures built built appropriately, and uh, you know making sure if they have a friend who has an opioid problem that they can get the treatment they need. So, yeah, I mean that's that's my response. Will I I I feel good about uh, what we're doing as a campaign in terms of raising money and where we're because it show it demonstrates that we've got a kind of a broad base support. Um, and it's really just, it, you know, I've told you what the, some of the work that I've worked on on the city council, kind of what what I'm about as a, a leader. There's, uh, you know, in city government, there's not uh, 
Um, I've taken lots of oats uh, and, um, you know, kind of my work speaks for myself, so uh, for itself. So, yeah. And do you you feel like, you know, having accepted political political donations of that sort from like Puget Sound Energy, um, from uh, Tim Thompson, who has worked for the Geo Group, do you feel like that's affected your votes or your positions on any issues over the years? No, absolutely not. I took money from Mitchell Shook, and he he doesn't like what we're doing with Click. So, no. I mean, a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. It's not going to change, uh, you know, who I am. Um, and that's you know, local government in terms of local elected officials. You know, the rules are different than let's say the legislature, where they at least at the least with the legislature they they uh, what did they they kind of cut it off during during the session times or whatnot in terms of fundraising. But um, uh, no, you know, I am who I am. I'm born and raised here. Uh, I am real clear about where I'm at. Uh, hopefully you'll tell me if I'm wrong on, on all these issues. Um, and that, you know, where I stand isn't, doesn't depend on who's supporting my campaign. Last question, you know, as a reporter who covers right. Tacoma, I, I kind of feel like the city is having a moment right now. It, it's at a, a bit of a turning point in its history. Tacoma always wanted um, a certain level of recognition of investment, of of dynamism, right? And and it's kind of happening now. But the city's also dealing with a lot of um, the side effects of that at the same time, rising rents and things like that. I mean, th- that's how I would describe this moment in Tacoma's history. You grew up here. You went to Stadium High School. How would you describe this moment in Tacoma's history that we're in right now? I would say we've got tremendous opportunity um, right now. But our, our biggest challenge is how do we, or, or two of our biggest challenges, how do we create more employment in the city of Tacoma so we don't just become a bedroom community and really put our money where our mouth is in terms of increasing the supply of housing stock in our community. Because if we can't get employers here, uh, and if we can't increase the supply of housing, then we're going to be in a tougher spot than we are right now. So we, we've got this tremendous opportunity. The, the economy is still booming. Um, you know, the aerospace and tech is still booming. It's just not here. So whatever we can do, and, and we're working on it, to create that job growth in Tacoma, you know, I serve on the Workforce Development Board, really, and we're work, working hard at trying to connect the underemployed and the youth who are disconnected with uh, training and job opportunities. And, and so the more we can create those to make Tacoma an employment center, um, really connect the people who need better jobs in our community with those jobs and, um, and increase the, the housing stock, not just affordable housing, but all housing, the the better off we're going to be. That's the opportunity we need to seize. And, um, you know, I, I believe we'll do, we can figure it out. We, we call it the Tacoma way. It just, uh, you know, a lot of times in government, we talk about just regulations and, and zoning and, um, you know, kind of putting mandates on the community. But we really need to have, in order to in order to do that, in order to get more employers here, in order to see more housing show up in Tacoma, we've really got to get out of get out of our comfort zones and 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 partner with the right people to make it happen. So, well, um, 
Let's leave it there. Connor McCarthy, Tacoma City Council member, current deputy mayor. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And just, you know, to your listening, I think first time on the radio, this, uh, you know, this thing right in my mouth is interesting. So uh, hopefully my... it turned out all right. <laughs> it's yeah. the story of my life. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Will. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you heard on the show today, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, please email me at candice.rude at gmail.com. That's Candice with an I dot rude r-u-u-d at gmail.com the citizen tacoma podcast is sponsored by alaska airlines i'm candace rude and i fly alaska to book your next flight go to alaskaair.com this is channel 253